This presentation is the culmination of eight months of study about St. John Bosco. It was given to a group of 75 faithful Catholics gathered at American Eats Fatima headquarters in Pennsylvania. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you all so much for coming. My name is Matthew Miller, and I've been a full-time TFU member for 10 years, and there's nothing else in the world I'd rather do. Around a year ago, I was asked to start a YouTube channel for America Needs Fatima that tells three stories a week about St. John Bosco. I've now performed around 100 episodes for our channel through researching 20 thick volumes that were written about his life titled, The Biographical Memoirs of St. John Bosco, by Father Giovanni Battista Lemoyne. I would like to begin by asking you to put yourself in a scenario, to imagine a scene with me. You're lying in a beautiful grassy field near the Piedmontese mountains of Italy, looking up at the clouds in the sky. If you like, you can imagine that you're a shepherd and that a baby lamb lays on your chest while the rest of your flock grazes nearby. The stillness of the crisp mountain air is broken by voices that can only come from a large gathering of people in a neighboring town. Curiosity gets the better of you, and despite strict orders from your employers to the contrary, you whistle for your flock and decide to go into town to investigate. As you approach, there are hundreds of people around the churchyard in Canelli. The onlookers shush one another, and all sit still listening to a priest in the center of them who appears to be giving a sermon. But it wasn't like any sermon you'd ever heard before. It was appealing. It was memorable and relatable, but with that solidity of doctrine that comes only from a true son of the Catholic Church. The priest was trying to explain that God bene omnia fecit, that he has done all things well, as we read in the Gospel of St. Mark. Thus, people should look at everything that happens to them, good or bad, as if God directly sent it. He was trying to teach people about the wonders of divine providence. So the priest began a story to illustrate the point, and this really happened. This is a direct quote. He said, A weary traveler stopped in the shade of some oak trees and wondered, Why did the Lord give such small fruits as acorns to these huge oak trees? Look at the small, ugly pumpkin a plant that can't even hold itself up. Why did God give it such a big fruit? Those big pumpkins would be beautiful hanging up there from those oak branches. Imagine hundreds and hundreds of them hanging from all sides of the oak tree. With these thoughts, he fell asleep. Meanwhile, a slight breeze arose, causing a small acorn to fall and hit the traveler on the nose, waking him up. Oh Lord, he cried, coming to his feet and touching his aching nose. You have done so well by giving so tall of a plant such small nuts. If it had been a pumpkin falling on me from that height, it would have smashed my head, and I'd be dead. Everyone nodded in agreement at the priest's wisdom. Madame Sophia, the town do-gooder who stands next to you, says, Don't just stand there with your mouth open, child. Take off your hat and act respectfully. You had been trying to avoid her shrewd eye, but now that the game is up, you decide to ask her who that excellent priest was. Madame Sophia answered, His name is Don Bosco, and he's just been ordained in Turin. He traveled here originally to give a sermon on Sunday only, but we enjoyed it so much that we asked him to stay and preach the entire week. How many sermons have you been to where you said, I want this priest to preach to me every day for the entire week? 
Hundreds of people from all around are coming to hear him. This man was a legendary preacher indeed, and you'll never forget the parable story, nor the man who said it either. Later you would hear that he had been preaching in the streets of Turin, this really happened, and that a spoiled street brat exclaimed, we don't want to hear any more sermons, and was struck blind on the spot. His sight was restored the moment he made his confession. This priest was no joke, a modern day prophet. Thus we meet the protagonist of our meeting today. His full name is John Melchior Bosco. That's something I never heard. That's a good name. But people would call him Don Bosco because the Italian title Don, in this case, means father. In other cases, it would be a title of nobility. But when it's referring to St. John Bosco, it would be like saying Father Bosco. A saint with a similar name is Padre Pio, same thing. Don Bosco was a 19th century priest who ran an oratory for boys in Turin, Italy. And this is a beautiful picture of him giving a blessing to his oratory boys. Normally, when progressivist Catholics speak of this great saint, they portray him in a very simplistic or even slanted way. The most you'll get out of some Catholics is that he was a very nice man who took care of poor orphans who were trying to escape the industrialist capitalist workspaces of the time. Oh yeah, and he had mystical dreams too, like 40, around 40. I'm now going to tell you a story that challenges this limited view of him. The year is 1880. A former oratory student called Dasso Alessandro, a struggling artist in Turin, was assigned to assassinate St. John Bosco in the last week of June. He presented himself at a reception, asking to speak to Don Bosco, and then he went straight into the room he had been ushered, as he was familiar with the layout of the house. He seemed troubled and concerned with anything but the person in front of him, our dear saint. But Don Bosco received him with his usual loving kindness. As the young man kept silent and seemed overtaken by growing agitation, the servant of God asked him, What do you want from me, my son? Speak up. You know Don Bosco loves you. The young man went on his knees, broke down in tears, and, sobbing, told him this ugly story. He had enrolled in the Freemasonry. The sect had condemned Don Bosco to death. Twelve names had been drawn by lot to do the job. Twelve individuals were ordered to carry out the sentence, and each one was to try, in turn, to murder the saint. This poor wretch, Alessandro, said, To me, of all people, it fell to be the first. And that's what I came for. But I'll never do any such action. That will bring upon me the vengeance of others. Revealing this secret is my death sentence. I know I'm lost, but I'll never kill Don Bosco. He drew out his concealed weapon and hurled it to the ground. Don Bosco lifted him and tried to reassure him, but in vain. As if pushed by a mysterious force toward an abyss, the poor man ran hastily out of the room. The second attack occurred the following December. So these are very close together. A young gentleman in his mid-twenties visited Don Bosco, who politely invited the wretch to sit beside him on the couch. From the start, a sinister look flashed in his eyes, which immediately caused Don Bosco to be on his guard and to watch his every move. An ill-repressed nervousness disturbed him. After sitting down, he spoke frantically about disconnected topics and gesticulated like a madman. 
Lo and behold, in his agitation, a six-shot revolver slipped from his pocket onto the couch. Without his noticing it, Don Bosco quickly grabbed it and slowly put it in his own pocket. Remember that Don Bosco had been an excellent magician in his youth, so he performed this quick sleight of hand with ease. You have to have nerves of steel. At a certain point, the man kept fumbling for his pistol and started to become very agitated and, and angry. He looked down, stuck his right hand into his sack, and repeatedly rummaged through it. He then leapt to his feet, looked all around him, and seemed in utter despair. Don Bosco went to the door, pointed the revolver at the young man, and said, Is this what you were looking for? At that, the scoundrel was stunned and tried to seize his weapon, but Don Bosco commanded him in a strong voice, Get out of here! Get out of here at once, and may God have mercy on you. At last, the criminal left. Another time, very late at night, when Don Bosco was returning home from visiting a dying man, an individual lying in ambush behind an elm tree fired two shots at him at almost point-blank range. Both miraculously failed to hit the target, and the would-be assassin rushed over to finish Don Bosco in some other terrible way either with a knife, a club, or maybe just his bare hands. It was then that Grigio, Don Bosco's angel dog, that God sent to protect him, appeared out of nowhere, pounced ferociously on the assailant, who fled into the hills, screaming in absolute terror. Whereupon Grigio escorted Don Bosco all the way to the oratory. There are many more stories about Grigio, so many that I would need a whole hour just to tell them. I would also need another hour just to enumerate all the times that our saint was nearly assassinated. But why would this happen? Why were the Masons so intent on murdering Don Bosco? Why did they hate him so much? It was because there were two forces vying for the attention of the worker class in Turin, Masonic sects who promoted Marxist class struggle ideology and St. John Bosco who opposed these groups through peaceful movements based on Catholic charity and love of order and society. Don Bosco was making so much headway with his mutual aid society that the Masons knew he had to be stopped, even if it was by murderous attempts on his life. But that doesn't seem to fit the progressivist portrayal of him. Curious, isn't it? Well, it turns out there's a lot of things they don't tell you about St. John Bosco. So many that it would be impossible to address them, to address every single one in depth during this meeting, so I'll merely mention a few of them now, in passing. Did you know that St. John Bosco could bilocate? That Our Lady would frequently appear to him? That he could predict the future, whether it be the fate of an oratory boy, the fate of a country, or something as big as World War I? That he had the strength of an ox? That he had a photographic memory? That he raised a boy from the dead and cured all manner of ailments with a simple embrace or light touch of the hand? that he did not have just 40 mystical dreams. In reality, he had around 200. Did you know that he taught extensively against heresy, attacked Mohammedanism, and debunked the claims of the Greek and Russian Orthodox churches? That he did apostolate with both poor and rich boys at the oratory, contrary to popular belief? That he was a prolific writer and opposed the errors of Protestantism in his catechism? that he became an emergency doctor during the devastating 1854 cholera epidemic. How about that he not only had mystical dreams himself, but would appear in other people's dreams to set them on the right path and guide young men to his oratory school for boys? 
These facts are just barely brushing the surface of his 73 years of mystical visions and miraculous good works. I easily have enough material for 10 years of daily uploads, if only I had the manpower. In short, he's an Old Testament prophet transplanted to modern times in his radicality, but still manages to bring the peace and consolation of Jesus Christ through his suavity and kindness. I'm going to tell you three stories from Don Bosco's life that I think are the cream of the crop that really break the mold that progressivists try to force our saint into. If you walk away from this meeting remembering just one of these stories, I'll be extremely happy. St. John Bosco himself said, the most useful tools are similes, parables, fables, and allegories. With these, you can firmly express a truth that no one forgets. He was talking about sermons. So, the first story is about a strange supernatural phenomenon that occurred at night in the oratory school for boys. It was a sign from the Blessed Mother that involved an earthquake, gusty winds, and a mysterious ball of fire. It also proves that Our Lady would appear to St. John Bosco often, a fact from his life that you never hear about. So are there any questions so far? Is everything pretty clear? Good, because I don't want to just go off and have you all not understand anything. So, okay. Father Giovanni Bonetti narrates the event in his chronicle. He says, on January 9, 1862, at about 9 p.m., three young men, Valania, Scioli, and Finelli, had gone to bed early in their St. Aloysius dormitory, located in the new wing of the house. While they were chatting, engaging in objectionable talk, instead of coming with the others to the common prayers, they heard a tremor similar to an earthquake and a great whistling of the wind. And behold, at a window of their dormitory on the outer sill, there appeared a fiery globe. Although the window was closed, the fireball entered through it, producing a strange noise, passed over the boys' heads, and traveled through the room from one end to the other. What do you think that ball meant? Does anybody have any ideas? It's probably chastisement, right? I was shocked when I, when I heard this. Then, stopping in the middle, the globe divided and spread in so many flames over the whole extent of the room that it remained for an instant entirely illuminated in every corner. At the same time, they heard a noise almost like the footsteps of a man walking. After a few moments, the light again turned into a globe, went back out the same window, leaving those three youngsters so frightened that they hid under their blankets as soon as they could catch their breath. Others also asserted having seen a fireball over Don Bosco's room. Unfounded rumors of mysterious apparitions also spread among the students, who, struck with holy fear, hoped that Don Bosco would explain it, and he did. On Sunday evening, January 12th, Don Bosco described and explained the fireball event in minute detail to all the gathered students and artisans. He said, this is what happened. Those who saw it are here and can confirm that it was as I described. I will say that the fiery globe passed from the dormitory into another room and disclosed an unbecoming conversation in that wing. Mind you that in this oratory, there are hardened hearts that resist God's grace. They have called the Lord's wrath upon themselves and risk severe punishment. Mary Most Holy, who has always protected this house, 
held back these punishments with the sensible sign we have seen mercifully limiting herself to warn those hardened hearts. I assure you that I weep with sorrow when thinking about your spiritual state. How heartbreaking it is to see people so indifferent and neglectful of their souls after receiving so many favors from heaven. If they do not decide this time to break at once with sin and surrender to the Lord, they may never again have such a grace to convert. Let me give them a piece of advice. If they don't want to give up sin, let them leave this house soon, for I cannot be responsible for what may happen to them. Nambosco's getting radical here. Let them think hard about it. Some need to make general confessions. Others have long withheld sins in confession, and others have things to straighten out but keep postponing it. These have good reasons to fear, but those with a clean conscience have nothing to fear. I can assure them that no harm will befall us, for we have Mary Most Holy's protection. You need not fear any noise or light if you are in the grace of God. A short time ago, your consciences faced instant scrutiny, but none of you noticed it. To the good, this must be of great comfort and a pledge of their salvation. However, it should provide the carefree with an occasion for serious reflection. Today, one of you said, I want to leave this house. I don't want to be around these weird events happening. I think I might have translated that part, <laughs> these weird events. My dear young man, when the hand of God wants to draw us to him, will it not find us in any corner of the earth? David says, if he ascends into heaven upon the stars, thou art there. If I descend under the earth into hell, there will I find thee. Now let you all pray to our Lord and our Lady to grant us all the graces necessary for our souls. I will pray to her for the good of my soul and yours as well. Now go to bed and sleep peacefully. So you see here that he isn't this wishy-washy saint that some people are trying to push. He's telling them to repent or get out. Many commented on that psalm because they thought it alluded to the notes that had been distributed a few days before. This is incredible. The gifts from Our Lady that had defined each young man according to his moral state. Don Bosco had said around Christmas, the gift I'm going to give you tonight is not from me. In fact, what would you say if Our Lady herself came in person to each of you to say a word? If she had prepared a note for each of you to indicate what she wants from you? Well, that's exactly how it happened. Our Lady gives each one of you a Christmas gift. So here I quote the notes collected and preserved, omitting the names, of course. We don't want that getting out. Your negligence combined with lack of piety displeases me. Wake up. What would you do if you got that note? <laughs> you could do far more good for the good of your soul. Have recourse to me more often. Fight and I will help you win. That one I, I like. I would appreciate that one. A worm is gnawing at your soul and body. Woe to you if you do not destroy it. Choose better companions. Don't be negligent. Pray better. Endeavor to repair the past with a better future. Why wait? You love idleness and want to pamper your taste, but you displease me and my son, Jesus Christ. Woe to you if you do not amend. Straight from our mother there. Your carelessness makes your labors useless. Flee idleness, study and pray. Frequent the sacraments.
pray better, be more obedient. Idleness and gluttony make me worry over you. Amend and pray better. Just a few more. You are very concerned about your body and little about your soul. Death is approaching. Get ready. And now I return to Father Bonetti's narration about the fiery globe incident. He says, after the pupils went to bed, many clerics and others gathered around Don Bosco to ask some questions. So this is the part where I glean that he sees Our Lady a lot more than what we all hear about. Among other things, they asked him to explain what he meant when he said that the fiery globe then passed everywhere and made known that others were having bad conversations. Don Bosco evaded the issue and merely indicated that the globe had passed by his room and that he learned many other things through it. So he's being really shifty about this. He later told us how Our Lady usually appears on this earth. He described how she looked. He gave us a taste of his profound theological knowledge by explaining as simply as he could in human terms the intuitive vision of God whereby the saints looking at God as in a mirror see the whole past, present, future, and all points of the universe within the limits he set for them. They can see all places and be present there. He went on to say that when Our Lady wants to be in some particular place, she has only to make an act of the will to be there. And for the most part, she appears dressed according to local customs. I thought that was very interesting. How would he know that? <laughs> At other times, she makes her presence felt through some symbol. So that globe was Our Lady. I've. We were amazed to hear him speak so well and with such ease about mystical things. Someone asked if he had already experienced and enjoyed such visions. He replied that he had merely learned these things from books. He said, oh no, I've just read about this a lot, right. Father Rua asked if any young oratory boys might appreciate reading them. So he called them on the carpet. He said, so what books are they? Don Bosco said, smiling, that you know, he's overly curious. He said, those who could read these books and understand them do not believe themselves so gifted. Woe to them if they did, as God would allow them to be humbled. That's very interesting. So you can see from this account that Don Bosco saw Our Lady regularly, which is incredible. Um, I, I didn't have enough time to get into other situations, but he's constantly alluding to the fact that Our Lady came to him, um, which I had no clue of. So that's the first story, all right? So we're gonna, gonna do three. This is the second story. So my second story is titled, Don Bosco Bilocates to Punish Disobedience. Um, I had a lot of fun with this one. This is very interesting. And for those who don't know, bilocation means that a person was in two places at once. I think everybody knows that. At the beginning of July, Don Bosco said a boy in the house would die that month. So he made a prophecy. He said, somebody here is gonna die. He did this all the time. And then he would say, the first letter of their last name. He'd say, it's going to begin with M, you know. Um, uh, Castellano Bernardo of Chieri on July 18th died at home while Don Bosco was at St. Ignatius. So Don Bosco uh, went to this other part of the country to take a rest because the boys would bother him all the time. And so he needed to just take a break from them. But even still, he would send letters and say, oh, this boy's going to die, uh, so be careful. So this young man was only 18 years old. A week later, Don Bosco told the boys in his house at St. Ignatius that he had been at the bedside of Castellano Bernardo and assisted him in his last moments. But in turn, 
no one yet knew about his death. Don Bosco had already written to Don Alessonati about Casaleño's death, asking for prayers for the boy. That's another Salesian. When Don Bosco arrived at the oratory, Don Bonetti questioned those with him at the exercises. He learned that Don Bosco had announced the boy's death shortly after it had happened, but he couldn't have known that because the two places were more than 21 miles apart. The young man's father, Chevalier Giuseppe Casaleño, so he's a noble, Chevalier, confirmed to Don Bartolomeo Guiado that Don Bosco, despite being far away, publicly announced the death of his son at the very moment it had happened. No less surprising is the following account. Some young artisans named David, Tinelli, and Panico, these names, uh, who names their son Panico? They knew that Don Bosco wasn't at the oratory. They thought they could escape the sacred evening services and not be missed on Sunday. Then, sneaking out, they swam in the canal near the river Dora, so they, they missed mass to swim. Despite the vigilance of Don Alessonati and his assistants, the Salesian he left in charge, no one noticed them missing. Undetected that day and the next, the culprits felt safe, but they had been observed from afar by Don Bosco, who sent a letter to all the boys on Monday the 21st. In this letter, among other things, he mentioned the incident without naming the culprits. He writes, Dearest sons, I know you want to hear news from me, and I had to leave without saying goodbye, so I feel the need to speak to you. He's such a father to these boys. It's incredible. I will speak frankly as a father to his beloved children. I was a little under the weather on the evening of July 15th, so I traveled to St. Ignatius via coach. Along the journey to Caselli, I could enjoy the sun, which gave me a free steam bath because I was seated on top of the coach. But on the, he, he's just he's shooting the breeze with them. I'm just trying to show you a little bit of how he treated the oratory boys. He would tell them everything. Um, uh, but on the road from Caselli to St. Morris, the weather was cold and stormy with thunder, lightning, and rain. During the journey from St. Maurice to Kiri, the rain mixed with a bit of hail. It turned very cold. My dear boys, you should have seen Don Bosco coming down from the carriage, drenched like one of those big rats you often see coming out of the ditch behind the oratory courtyard. Up to now in this letter, I've spoken of myself. Now let's talk about you. So he's going to lower the boom. Let us begin with Bernardo Casaleño, the one who died, our beloved companion. After much suffering, he died on Friday, July 18th, having received the sacraments from him <laughs> in a truly exemplary manner without letting himself be frightened by death. So he's, he's admitting that he saw him and it's incredible. He's admitting that he bilocated there. He was full of confidence in the protection of the Blessed Virgin Mary. He had been preparing for this step for a long time. He probably warned him, knowing Don Bosco. Um, let's go back. Back. Might have to get somebody on these slides here to help me out. There we go. It's okay. So, uh, does anybody know who this is? Yes, Dominic Savio. So, I looked for a picture that I thought was accurate for about a day when I did a vi uh, video on him. And if you know Dominic Lottolo, he's another member here. He's named after Dominic, uh, St. Dominic Savio. And he says, oh, you didn't know that they, they drew a sketch of him? Somebody who knew Dominic Savio drew a sketch of him. And this is the sketch they drew. It's very different from a lot of other images you might see of him. But 
um, the reason why I have it up here is Don Bosco is going to bring him up. His preparation for heaven gives us hope that he visited Dominic Savio in heaven. So he's, like, he's in heaven. He, he knew that, and he would see him in dreams, too. He saw Dominic Savio all the time in heaven. He was buried in Chieti, where people prayed for him, and you did the same for him in the oratory. I have visited the oratory several times and found a little good and a little bad. I saw four wolves running here and there among the boys. Oh, sorry. There's the wolf. <laughs> and some of them were bitten. Uh, it's all metaphorical, obviously. Yeah, it's, uh, perhaps these rapacious wolves will no longer be found in the oratory. But if they are still there, I want to tear from them the lambskin in which they clothe themselves. He was radical. On another visit, I saw some chatting on the terrace during the evening prayer. Others were playing on the small staircase of the new house. I also saw some go out on Sunday mornings and miss part of the church services. I was outraged that some boys fled to swim when it was time for mass. Poor young men, how little they think of their souls, but doesn't end there. I also saw many young men with snakes twisted around their bodies and biting into their throats. Some of them wept saying, we have sinned. Others laughed and sang, we have sinned, yet what has befallen us? But their throats swelled and they had trouble breathing. So today I see the devil turning idleness into carnage. I will soon be with you, etc., uh, etc. Et may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with us always, and, and may the Blessed Virgin Mary preserve and console us. Amen. Can I get somebody on these slides? Thank you very much. <laughs> this, this thing is biting the dust. Um, there's not too many slides after this that I have to advance. Um, so, seeing that all of them is smiling, continue smiling. So when he came back, he says, perhaps some of you will ask, how did Don Bosco know such things? I knew it through my personal telegraph machine of sorts. I can establish communication and I see and know everything that benefits the honor and glory of God and the health of souls. I will now tell you something that I probably shouldn't, but I think it's a good idea for me to tell you so that no one thinks he can get away with things when I'm away from the oratory. Anyone who thinks he hasn't been seen is deceiving himself. Come on. And it would be best if you didn't abstain from evil only for fear of being discovered by Don Bosco. So he's saying, I, I shouldn't be keeping you honest. You should be keeping yourselves honest. Instead, I want you to avoid sin because you are seen by God who will demand a rigorous account of your deeds on the day of judgment. I will tell you briefly that from St. Ignatius, I have seen the chief enemy of every one of you. I will try to speak to each of you in private and give the necessary advice to help you. So he was always watching to see who are the bad boys. Uh, what are the cliques that are forming? I'm going to break up that clique. I'm going to send that boy home. He did that all the time. I have so much love for your souls that I wouldn't stop talking because I want to tell you many beautiful things that can benefit your spiritual well-being. This was a, a good night talk, so he'd always talk to them before they went to bed. And he'd talk to them uh, many other times throughout the day. But the good night talk was the main talk for the day. Here there was a pause in his speech, and Senor Oriella asked whether Don Bosco's telegraph wire allowed him to do other things from afar besides just seeing. Don Bosco laughed and answered, maybe those fellows received a little punishment through my telegraph line. This punishment, whether it was really through my mysterious telegraph wire or by something else, was really felt by those three. 
While they were in the water, they felt a lashing on their skin that made them recoil. They quickly asked a soldier swimming in the vicinity why and how he had struck them. Next. Thank you. When Don Bosco finished speaking, one of the boys, young Tinelli, turned to a nearby friend whom he had already told of his escape in secret and exclaimed in a low voice, now I understand those blows on my shoulders that were so strong and painful. In fact, I argued with a soldier who swam nearby, suspecting that it was him. So the one time it was documented that St. John Bosco bilocated, it was to whip three bad students. That really breaks the, uh, the progressivist mold of him. And because of that, I love this remarkable incident from his life. Next. So that's story two. Um, oh yes, so that's them getting out of the water. Next. Okay, so this is story three. For my final story, I would like to recount how St. John Bosco raised a young man from the dead, which is arguably the highlight of any saint's life and is very rare in church history. Next. St. Elias is credited with performing the first resurrection on the only son of a widow. A verse from the first book of Kings recounts the incident. He cried to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, let the soul of this child, I beseech thee, return into his body. That means, that means a lot to me because St. Elias is my middle name. Next. And the Lord heard the voice of Elias, and the soul of the child returned into him, and he revived. Next. It is recorded in the New Testament that our Lord Jesus Christ raised Lazarus and the daughter of Jairus from the dead. I didn't know about that. I didn't know about the daughter of Jairus. But have you ever heard of St. John Bosco resurrecting anyone? This account was written by Joseph Brosio to Father John Bonetti and subsequently documented and released to the public. Here is the most extraordinary event of 1849. Next. That's not really him. That's, that's a newspaper boy in New Jersey. I don't know, you gotta find something. Uh, he's Italian though, I mean clearly. This is Charles, a 15-year-old boy who attended Don Bosco's oratory of St. Francis de Sales, fell seriously ill and was at death's door. His father owned a small restaurant and the family lived on its upper floor. The doctor told the parents that the boy was in critical condition and they advised him to go to confession. When asked, he said he greatly desired to see Don Bosco his ordinary confessor. Unfortunately, much to the boy's grief, Don Bosco was out of town, so they sent for the assistant pastor. The boy died less than two days later, repeatedly asking for Don Bosco. Soon after, our saint returned, and he learned that people had come several times looking for him. The boy, Charles, whom he knew so well, was on his deathbed and eagerly wanted to speak to him. Don Bosco hastened to the boy's house and the waiter told him, oh no, it's too late. He died 12 hours ago. Don Bosco smiled and replied, you only think he's dead. He's only sleeping. As the waiter stared at him with mocking disbelief, Don Bosco replied, do you want to bet a pint that he's not dead? A pint of beer. He's betting him beer. In the meantime, the boy's parents had come downstairs and hearing his words told him amid tears, that poor Charles was dead indeed. And they said, no, no, he's really dead. It can't be, Don Bosco replied. Can I see him? They immediately ushered him into the wake room where the child's mother and aunt were praying at his bedside. I imagined it a very dark room with just a couple candles. Don Bosco drew near it, wondering, was his last confession well made? 
Where is his soul now? And he asked the person who ushered him into the room to withdraw. So that, that's interesting, because that is documented. So he didn't know everything. It was only certain things that God allowed him to know for, uh, for whatever purpose. He said a short and fervent prayer, blessed the dead boy and called him in a commanding voice, Charles, get up. The corpse began to stir. Don Bosco quickly hid the funeral lamp. He didn't want to scare him. Ripped open the sheet and uncovered the boy's face. Charles opened his eyes as though waking from a deep slumber. He looked around and sat up asking, where am I? His gaze finally fell on the saint's face. Don Bosco, he exclaimed, if you only knew how much I wanted to see you. I sent for you so many times. I need you very badly. It's God who sent you. Am I glad you woke me up? He thought I'd just been sleeping. Me too, Don Bosco replied. Now tell me everything you want. I'm here for you. The boy continued, oh, Don Bosco, I should be in hell. In my last confession, I didn't dare confess a sin committed a few weeks earlier. A bad companion talked me into it. See, that's why Don Bosco was so vigilant about bad companions. I had a terrible dream that I was on the edge of a huge furnace and many devils were chasing me. As they were about to push me over, a lady stepped between me and those hideous monsters saying, wait, he has not been judged. Who do you think that lady was? I mean, it's kind of obvious. I was terribly afflicted. Then I heard you calling me and I woke up. Now I want to make my confession. His mother and aunt who had been present all along couldn't believe their eyes. I can only imagine. At a word from Don Bosco, they hastened to summon the rest of the family, badly shaken. The poor young man had recovered from his fear of those demons long enough to begin his confession with every sign of true repentance. Finally, I don't know why he just didn't fix it in the first place. His mother and the rest of the family walked into the room as Don Bosco was giving him final absolution. Turning to his mother, Charles said, Don Bosco is saving me from hell. Charles was entirely lucid for a couple of hours, but his body remained cold to the touch, even though he could move, look around, and talk. Among other things, he repeatedly asked Don Bosco to recommend to the boys that they always and sincerely confess their sins. Don Bosco finally said, you're now in the state of grace. Heaven stands open for you. Do you want to go there or stay here with us? What would you do, do you think? <laughs> That's a tough call. He said, I want to go to heaven. Goodbye then, see you in heaven, Don Bosco said. Young Charles closed his eyes and quietly fell asleep again in the Lord. Can you imagine St. John Bosco basically saying, all right, then you can die, and then he died. The family likely kept the matter secret out of respect for the boy's memory and hushed it even among their neighbors. Nevertheless, the word spread among the boy's companions, and this episode was accepted for many years in the oratory as an undisputed fact. They knew the restaurant's name and the location, the boy's full name, where his family had originally come from, and his long-standing friendship with Don Bosco. Now that was the most important event of his life, but it still isn't my favorite story of St. John Bosco. But to hear that, you'll have to go to my YouTube channel to find the video. <laughs> Next. I mean, unless you want, we're kind of early here. 
I did bring it. Um, what do you think, Mr. Roberts? Should we go yeah, for it? Go it's pretty short. I could, I could even tell it from memory, but all right. This is my favorite. I, I don't know why. I was going through a slump. I had done, uh, what was this? 74. I had done 74 episodes. I was getting tired, and I got this one, and I was, wow, this is, this is a sign. Like, this, this is the best story I've ever heard. In 1884, the school inspector of La Spezia, Signore Bonino Alvaro, told us the following gracious account of something he witnessed when he attended the oratory as a catechist, being a municipal elementary teacher in 1850. So it's just proving, this is documented, okay? We have all the documents. A father had become a Protestant in turn to receive 30 denarii, which the enemies of God paid for apostasies. 30 denarii, 30 pieces of silver, hmm. The wretch demanded that his wife and son likewise convert to Protestantism. Still, the good woman was firm in religion and held her son back also. They were Savoyards from an area in northwestern Italy ruled by the Savoy dynasty. Because of her husband's wretched apostasy, the poor mother wept and prayed for many nights. But one night, her son had a dream. He felt that he was being dragged to the temple of the Protestants and struggled in vain to resist. While he was struggling in the dream, a priest appeared, freed him, and led him away. He awoke in the morning and described the dream to his mother, who sought every chance to shelter her son in some institution, for his father would not abandon his wicked divisiveness. She came across a person who advised her to visit Don Bosco in Valdoco to see if she could find refuge for her son in the oratory. She went there with her boy on a Sunday morning. They entered the church when she learned it was time for Mass and Don Bosco proceeded to celebrate. Signore Bonino Alvaro knelt beside the little boy. So this, this fellow is an eyewitness. Then, as soon as the boy saw Don Bosco, he cried out, Mama, Mama, it's him, it's him, it's really him. That's the priest who appeared in my dream. The little boy screamed and his mother cried. That's totally what I, I would scream. I, that's amazing. After reminding the family that the church was no place to scream like that, Signore Bonino saw that he could not quiet the boy. So he led the mother and son to the sacristy. And then he heard the account of the dream and how the son recognized the liberating priest in Don Bosco. Don Bosco returned to the sacristy and before he could remove his vestments, the boy ran to clasp his knees, pleading, My father, save me. Don Bosco accepted the boy into the oratory, and the young man stayed there for many years. And it's not here, but he told the boy, Don't worry, I'll be your father. So that's my favorite so far. At the end of the talk, I'll put up what's called a QR code. I had no idea what this was. And you'll be able to open your phone camera point it at the funny-looking barcode image on the projector screen, and it will take you straight to our channel. So the channel's called The Miracles and Prophecies of St. John Bosco. You can subscribe and hear three stories a week at 8 a.m. every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Don't worry, I'll try to make it worth your while. This last week, we reached a million views in seven months. And so that means people really want to hear about St. John Bosco. Um, if you do the math, that's like 140,000 views a month. That's a lot. Um, next. St. John Bosco was a jewel in our history, a model of piety and a ferocious warrior against the enemies of the one holy Roman Catholic and Apostolic Church. So on this channel, we'll attempt to analyze all the facets of his pious life, prophet, 
diplomat, miracle worker, counselor, visionary, devotee of Our Lady, prolific writer, role model for wayward boys, founder of the Salesians, priest, rock of scandal, warrior against heresies. I can go on and on, but it can all be summed up with the simple phrase, Christianus alter Christus. He was Christ-like. He's the patron saint of apprentices, editors, publishers, school children, magicians, and wayward children. He's a veritable font of interesting anecdotes and inspiring stories. And I think the more we learn of and admire the saintly aspects of Don Bosco, the more we will be like him in our own lives. Thank you so much for listening. God bless you and Our Lady keep you. Next. Thank you.